This morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 10 and uh, continuing in this idea of renewal um, and asking God to come and meet with us is a perfect theme. And we this morning are going to be looking specifically at this idea of worship and what we worship and how we worship. Um, Last week was kind of kicked off with the idea of revival and what God's part is and what's our part. And so this morning, I'm hoping um, that God would be faithful to his word and um, reveal some things maybe in our lives as he's been doing in mine about the things that we worship. So the other night we were watching um, TV and we were flipping around and the CMA or the CMT awards were on or show or whatever it is. I don't watch country music. So, um, but it was on and we were kind of watching this thing. And then there was more proof and validation of why you shouldn't listen to country music. Um, but, uh, it, the, the artist Kane Brown came on and, uh, I don't know if you know his song, Worship You. Um, but, uh, it came on and I'm like, see, this is why the sacrilegiousness of this song specifically is proof enough that we don't need. But if you don't know the song, basically it's idea of taking worship that was meant for God and church, and he uses it all in a relationship with some pretty hefty language about worship. He says, um, I don't know what I do. Yeah, lyrical genius. Um, Whenever you don't know what to do in a song, you put the word yeah in because it fills in the gap. So whenever you, anyway, um, I don't know what I do. I might have to worship you. I might have to sing your praise. I might have to go to church. Yeah, every single night and day, and it gets better from there. But um, the idea is that it was taking this thing of worship and putting it into a relationship. And so whether it's that one or whether it's Florida Georgia Line or Justin Bieber's Holy, whatever it is, um, there's this, there's this movement um, in our, our culture that takes this idea of worship and these words that were pretty much just reserved for church, and they're turning them into relationship. And so worship, I believe, has been taken into our relationships, into our passions, um, and, and we start to kind of use church language towards um, the things that we love, which is not always necessarily bad, but sometimes can get confusing. So when you hear somebody say that the woods or nature is my church, like that, that says something, right? That means it communicates that that is something that they are really, really passionate about. And it's probably even something closer to the idea of worship in that. Um, I've heard some people that have said the weight room is my church, the, the bar is my church, like it's where I go for, and, and I'm assuming it's, it's the idea of where I go for healing, where I go for help. And we want to kind of look at that this morning, uh, of this idea of what we worship is really, really important to identify. And so this morning, here's the outline of where we're going to go this morning. I want to talk about what an idol is. Uh, we're going to look at a war zone in Jerusalem to start. And then I want to talk about why idols seem to work in our life. And then lastly, I want to deal with how do we address and deal with them. And then lastly, we're going to finish our time by looking at a hillside in Galilee in Israel. And so we've got two locations that are kind of pin us into the main topic of uh, our stuff this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 10, and here's kind of a main idea that we want to start with this in mind. If we are to see revival in our church, we must deal with our idols. If we're to see God move in his people, we have to start addressing the things that we worship and seeing them as less than God. Because if we believe, as I mentioned earlier this week on Facebook and social media, this idea of revival starts and, and, we, and the proof of revival can be when our love for Jesus is, is, is above everything else and when our love for Scripture starts to grow and grow and grow. Those are the true proofs of what God is doing in revival and in his people. And so you're going to see that this morning. 
as we deal specifically with this idea of idols. But if we want to see revival, we must deal with them. So our main text will be Jeremiah chapter 10, looking at verses 1 to 16. And as you get there, I want to draw a picture of the scene that Jeremiah is in to give you some context and history, because I think it's important if we're going to understand idols in the culture. So just jumping back in time with me for a little bit, Jeremiah, the prophet, lived in a persecuted and turbulent time marked by suffering, marked by oppression, opposition, and at every level it came against Judah, the main city that he was part of, society. Most of us today might actually know the prophet Jeremiah primarily as the weeping prophet. Um, He is closely tied to the laments uh, uh, that are found in this book. But the primary purpose of his writing is to record the challenging, the challenging days during the period of history in, in Israel's history as a witness of God's message for those times and to offer a pronouncement of the further generations to Israel and the nations around him. So let me give you some background. Jeremiah's prophetic ministry began in 627 BC during Josiah's reign, um, and there's a couple kings that are part of it. So th- this period of time, um, Judah is a city that is surrounded by Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt. And there are four different kings we're going to look at that happened during the time of Jeremiah, okay? And so Babylon was this major, major superpower that was emerging at that time. So if you think history, think of whatever a superpower is today that is starting to grow and grow and grow and have influence. So Babylon is becoming this, this threat, and God is allowing it to be a threat against the, the, the um, tribe of Judah, the city of Judah, and this is a whole thing that's coming against them. So during this first part, this time of Judah, the surrounding region, they experienced a ton of upheaval as Babylon continued to just roll over city after city. Babylon eventually takes over Assyria and Egypt as the world power. And in the process, the first king that we see is Josiah, who is the last good king of Israel, is now taken out as this takeover of Assyria and Egypt happens. Josiah, Judah's last king, was killed in the battle against Egypt. And Egypt then places another king, Jehoiaz, then Jehoiakim, on the throne to maintain control. So they take out Assyria, they take out Egypt, Babylonia is rolling, and now Jehoiakim is now taken in as king of Judah. Once the friend and confidant of the king, Jeremiah the prophet, now entered a dreary round of persecution and imprisonments, altering the only periods of freedom that Israel would have. When Assyria and Egypt finally fell, Jehoiakim maintained his power by submitting to Babylon. And in that same year, this is kind of some interesting Easter eggs in your Bible, during that same year that Jehoiakim maintained power and submitted to Babylon was the same year that the Babylon took exiles from Judah, including the names you may recognize of Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was actually part of this time period. So Radshach and Benny end up leaving to go to Babylon as a result of Babylon taking things over. And sadly then, Jehoiakim eventually rebels against Babylon. He tries to take on Babylon, leading to Babylon invasion invasion again and his own death and the ascension of his young son Jehoiakim to the throne. Now Jehoiakim is only 18 when he starts reigning. So imagine you've given your keys to your 18-year-old. Not only are you given the keys to your 18-year-old, you've given them the keys to the kingdom. And now he is ruling. Now Jehoiakim does not last long in this. 18-year-old Jehoiakim ruled for only a short time before he was removed from the throne and exiled to Babylon with others such as Ezekiel. And his place in the Babylonians, basically they take him out <laughs> and in comes Zedekiah. And Zedekiah's reign was one of decline and disorder in Judah. He eventually rebelled against Babylon, tried to take on the superpower. 
power, leading to the devastation and plundering of Jerusalem, as well as the death of many in Judah during the final Babylonian invasion. And all of this was happening under the time that Jeremiah was writing. So imagine that. Imagine your country is seeing king after king after king after king rebel, 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 die, killed, and eventually Babylon is now your ruler. And in this period of storm and stress, when the doom of the entire nations, including Judah itself, was being sealed, the smaller states of Western Asia were often pawns and power plays to the imperial giants, such as Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and the time of Jeremiah's ministry was no exception. So the Lord commanded Jeremiah in this time not to marry, not to raise children, because the impending divine judgment on Judah would sweep across the next generation. And primarily, he was a prophet of doom, <laughs> Jeremiah was, and he attracted only a few friends. I would, you'd probably think that, right? I mean, if your message is constantly, we're all going to die, not many people are going to want to hang out with you very often because he's going to tell you again, we're all dead. God's coming to judge us. You're like, cool. Do you want to go to the party? No, that's not, you're not welcome. Jeremiah's closest companion was his faithful servant, Baruch, who wrote down Jeremiah's words as the prophet di- dictated them. He advised Jeremiah not to succumb to the temptations and ambitions that were all around them. Now, why do I give you all of that background? I give you all of that background because before we entered into chapter 10, you have to understand if there's that much doom and gloom, if there's that much unknown, if king after king has been taken out and Jeremiah's message again and again is you've got to submit to God, you've got to submit to God, you've got to submit to God and they're not listening, ultimately you would almost understand why Israel would then turn to idols for some source of control, some source of power, some source of security, and some source of approval. And during this time, they had many idols. And so we want to look at that as we talk about this first question this morning, what is an idol? So let's turn to verse 1. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have been carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do evil. Good. Now that's loaded with a ton of different things. But here's the, here's the gist of the idols as we think of them in the Old Testament. They were actual statues carved from wood or metal that the purpose was to worship them. And keeping this idol happy meant crops, fertility, good weather, luck, prosperity, or any other need they would have could be met by worshiping this idol or having many around the home. So it would not be uncommon to walk into a home in the Jewish society and see all of these statues around, and they're trying to worship them and make them happy because they need success. Now, you, we, we kind of are, this is, doesn't make maybe sense to us in the United States, but if you were to go just one nation down into Haiti, you would understand this very clearly because if you were to ask somebody, are you Christian or are you voodoo, the answer most likely would be yes. And you're like, how does that work? How do you can be voodoo and Christian? It's very easy because whenever Christianity fails me, I go to my voodoo. And whenever voodoo fails me, I go to my Christianity. The, the two work really well because whatever we need supplied, we go to that deity to supply it. 
And that still happens today. And you see so many of these things that are happening that, that we are immune to, but these, stu- these idols were actually worshipped because they thought they worked. And they thought that they were giving them what they needed. But here's the thing that God reveals in chapter 10. They are more than statues. They are counterfeit gods that demand attention and worship. And so for us today, let's kind of bring this into 2020. The things of our idols, right? And you've probably heard this in church before, but our idols are things that are counterfeit gods that demand our attention and demand our worship. I remember... um, the first sermon uh, I heard about this was probably like sixth grade. And I can still remember the sermon because it was pretty much the idea that like anything that you like that is not God is an idol and you need to burn it. You ever been there? Uh, and so when you, when you went to Christian camp, for those who were in this world, you, you took all of your what? Your CDs, right? Your tapes. <laughs> you may remember those, yeah. I mean, I was like, you guys, yeah, the, t- the tapes, you went, yeah. And you could, anyway. um, you took those, right? You took whatever you, you went and, and you just burned them, right? And it was this big thing, like, we're going to get rid of all these influences, we're going to burn them. And, and I remember like, well, then does God really like anything? Because I like a lot of stuff that doesn't seem to be tied to God. And so if it's an idol, I guess I just got to get rid of it. And so how does that work? And I think the definition was right, but I think the application we're going to look at this morning may be a little more helpful. But they are counterfeit gods that demand our attention and our worship. Here's the other thing about idols that we, that we have to know. They will take and take, but never give. If you know that you're worshiping something that is not God, one of the telltale signs is that it takes and takes and takes and never gives. An idol as well, are, they are creatures of our own designs and desires. I love that this, he says, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows and cucumber patches for they cannot speak and they need to be carried. What kind of God needs to be built? What kind of God needs to be propped up? And what kind of God needs to be carried along to the place where you're going, right? It's kind of a weak God is what he's trying to draw the attention to. But yet as we worship them, they don't seem very weak. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But here's a, here's a working definition that I would think may help as we think of idols in 2020, and especially as we, we think of how they were given um, definitions throughout Scripture. Idols are anything that steal my affections, anything that I hold as more precious than Jesus. Okay? So idols are anything that steal my affection or have more, that, I, that I hold as more precious than Jesus. Whether that's a reputation, whether that's a status, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, whether it's approval, it is anything that we cannot live without and we would die to live with. And I have many, you probably have many of these things that we feel like we can't live without But these are the exact things that God is most interested in exposing in our lives as many gods and desires to show us that we can and should and will live without them. So that's what an idol is. Let me jump into why we actually do this. Why are idols so attractive and why are they easy to have? I believe one of the biggest reasons that we give our attention to them is because, one, I think they're a place where we can dump our needs And we can dump our pain. We can tell our idols, here, carry this for me. Now, you're you're thinking, well, I don't have a statue in my house. I don't don't have a place where I just go and, and say, hey, take this concern for me. 
But here's what I think we all do have. We have relationships probably in our life that we hold to such esteem that we feel that if they don't come through or meet our expectations or handle the pain that we're, they we're having, if I can't put that on that person, that relationship, they have failed me in some way. And, and, and you're putting so much weight and expectation on that relationship because you don't know what else to do with the pain. There's been so many counseling places or situations and conversations I've had where the, 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 the conversation comes in of, you just need to fix so-and-so. You just need to deal with this person. You just need to have a conversation with this person. And when you dig down to the bottom, the thing that they want me to fix, or the thing they want me to deal with in that relationship is the fact that they have a pain in their life that that person is not fixing or solving that pain. Does that make sense? And we do it all the time. And we throw that pain on, on a relationship or we throw that pain on whatever it is to numb that pain, whether it's, a, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a television show, whether it's a hobby, we throw that pain at it and we say, just handle my pain for a little bit so I don't have to deal with it. And then we just kind of walk away. And eventually, the more we do this, the more we create these idols that just are supposed to handle all of our junk and we tell them to carry it and walk away. Because as Psalm 115 says, they are idols of silver and gold, the work of human hands. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. They have mouths, but do not speak. These idols have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. They have noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. They have feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. And here's the key. Those who make them so do all who trust in them. Another way of saying that is, the more you worship them, the more you become like them. Let me give you an example. That's kind of ethereal. Let me, let me give you an example of why I feel like we truly hold on to these idols that specifically can, can be all these, these things. At the root of all of these idols, let me just say, I think that at the root of all of these is out of um, a book called Gospel Coach. He, he mentions these but I think these are some of the big needs that we all have that our idols can somehow absorb. One, we have needs for power. We have needs for control. We have needs for comfort. And we have needs for approval. And I don't know all of you extremely well, but I know some of you. And, and, and I feel like you, you probably land in one of these four quadrants. Most of your needs probably land in either power, like I need to be at the top, I need to be excelling, I need to be uh, at the top of my career, whatever it is. Some of you, your, your biggest need is approval, and when you don't get it, it, it wrecks you, you don't know what to do with it. Some of it is your security, and some of it is comfort. But at the root of all of these, unless it's Jesus, it can very quickly turn into an idol, Example um, of these is, is the, the idea of, um, I'm sorry, let me, let me stop for a second. Let me go back here. You and I have some pretty big pains in those, but I think when we look at these, these scenarios, they, they, they all have some um, categories or, or some words that maybe make a little more sense than just the big ethereal power, approval, security, comfort. It could be that you continually fight for control. You continually fight for influence. You continually fight for success, for strength, for position. And maybe that's kind of your quadrant. Others of you, maybe your quadrant is in the approval. And so your idols tend to be more in relationships. Your idols tend to be more in achievement or ethnicity or social circles or appearance. And, and you need those things in your life to make you happy. 
I would say probably most of us here at Community, um, as, as Pastor Shepherd, I think, talking to a lot of people here, I would say a lot of us, we probably fall into the security. We, we, we feel like my idol is in the security, and all my prayers are for my family, all my prayers are for my finances, for protection, for safety, for future. But here's the thing, even in security, your religion becomes an idol, Because you always pray the same prayers of safety, concern for myself, 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 and we forget that it's not about myself, it's about Jesus. And if we truly love Jesus, then the security comes through Jesus and not just through doing the right things to achieve the security. In others, it could be comfort, pleasure, health, excess, freedom, home and vehicles, recreation. These are all things that are not all necessarily bad. But left to their own, unless we see Jesus as the thing we need, can ultimately become our idols. The approval of a boss that you tried so hard to get and got passed up. The approval of a spouse that did not come. The protection from a spouse that was not delivered. A young man who maybe tears his ACL and loses his scholarship and his whole world is done. The mother or father whose child turns their back on them and all the approval and control they worked so hard for or even sadly maybe even manipulated for to achieve is now gone. And the question is, is it the child or Jesus that fills your thoughts? Is it sports or Jesus that fills your thoughts? The advocate that fights for justice and never finds it, justice may become an idol. Is it justice or is it Jesus that calms your heart at the end of the night? Is it Jesus or your anxiety that speaks louder? Because ultimately, all these things have an ability to steal our attention and our affection away. But here's the thing that we've mentioned before. These are good things though, right? These are good, like we should want these things, which brings up another key point when we talk about idols and why we give them the, 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 the place in our life that they are. Here's the thing, they're tricky, right? Because they're good things. They could be neutral things. We're gonna look at this. They could be good things. Justice is a good thing. Spouse, good thing. Kids, good things. Buckeyes, good things. Reconciliation, you knew it was coming. Reconciliation, good things. These are all good things in our lives that that could ultimately become many gods. There's also neutral things, right? Food, family, necessities that are part of this world. But then there's also really bad idols, Michigan, immorality, addictions. Thank you. Thank you. I feel the rebuke. I love it. Thank you. That's much needed. Just keep it on. It's going to help me. Um, But yes, any of these things can become these. He knew it was coming. I really appreciate the grace that we give each other in this. It's good. Um, But um, they they can be bad things. And especially when we talk about some of the more serious ones, when it comes to our addictions or immorality, these things that are vehemently just bad or wrong, we know that they can destroy us. But one of the things that they all have in common is that they are in the way of God. They are taking all of the weight of our needs and pains, and it's not fair to you or your idols to carry them. In our community groups, we're reading a book, Life in Community, and this was one of the quotes that came up, I think it was second week or so, but I love this quote. The author says it this way, what we glory in is what we ultimately worship, or I would add in, make into an idol. And everything except for Jesus eventually crumbles under the weight of of that worship. Unless it's Jesus, it was not meant to handle it. Your spouse 
was not meant to handle the weight of your worship. Your friendship was not meant to handle the weight of your worship. They failed me again and again, and I was having a bad day, and they were busy, and they never responded to my text, and they blew me off, and I just can't imagine they're really my friend if that's the way they're going to treat me. They were never designed to be God. Quit treating them as if they are. Your kids, ooh, your kids are not meant to handle the weight of your worship. And when you put it on them, you crush them. And they can't measure up. They can't satisfy all those needs that you think you have. I had somebody in my life that the reason they wanted to have kids was was so that somebody, she said these exact words, I want to have kids so that somebody will love me. And I thought, oof, you are going to kill that kid because they are not going to measure up to the weight of that worship. That job, that career, that case, that person will never, ever handle the weight of your worship because they're not supposed to. Only Jesus is meant to handle the weight of our worship. And when we put it somewhere else, it will crumble. It will crush you. It just will. So how do we deal with our idols? How do we actually get relief from these? We're going to start it this week and we're going to finish next week with it. But let me give you maybe some things that may help in this idea of our idols. Next week, I'm going to dive deeper into this idea of mercy and confession. But before we get into mercy and confession, we first have to expose what our idols are. And this week, I want to identify them. So, so here's, here's, here's what I think may, may help. There are certain idols that may be just plain bad idols. These are the addictions in our life. These are the things we just cannot get a hold of. These are those sins that we keep doing again and again and again and again, and we can't stop doing them. And we all have them, right? These are the ones that are doing damage to you personally, and then there's also some, some idols probably in our life that, that may fall into, and this sounds weird, but kind of in a neutral category. They're not good, they're not bad, but if I give them the right attention, they could be good or bad. Does that make sense? They, they kind of are just neutral. And then there's some things in our life that could become idols that are good things. Our spouse, our kids, our relationships, they're good. So how do we deal with them then? Instead of just saying, they're all bad, don't enjoy life, just be bitter and then get to heaven and everything will be happy. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not how Christianity works. Although you've probably experienced some Christians that that is how their life works, right? You're like, isn't Christianity supposed to be good and joyful and happy? Why are you so mad all the time, bro? Uh, it's just the way it is until we get to heaven. Anyway, it's a whole other side topic. But, but this morning, I want us to kind of understand that the, there's a way to deal with these. So the first one is bad, right? Let's say you've got these idols in your life and they're just negative. They're bad. They're causing pain. They're the addictions in your life. The first first thing we need to understand is if they're bad in our life, the first thing we need to do is just totally smash these idols. We don't mess with them. We don't, we don't play around. We don't kind of just, it's okay. It's, it's kind of part of my life, but eh, God understands. We take these things to the foot of the cross. We say, God, deal with them. I don't want them in my life anymore. We want to smash. We want to get them out of our lives because they're creating this pain and this, this thing that I don't need in my own life. And they keep coming back. They keep coming back. But we ultimately have to just keep taking them to the cross and letting God smash them in front of us. That sounds really ethereal and out there, but I'm telling you, if you've ever had an idol get smashed in your life, it hurts. It's painful. One of these was a, was a, 
probably in a neutral category for me, but it was a job that I was holding on tightly to. God broke it away from me, and he knew he needed to change some things in my life. And I was holding on so desperately to it that I didn't want to let go of this position. God says, I need to get you out of this position. And as he did, I felt like it was kind of this picture. He kind of broke it in front of me and said, it's not going to do the weight. It can't handle the weight. It can't handle what I, what I want you to see. And ultimately, Jesus had to smash it, break it out of my life. Now, there may be other things that are neutral in your life, right? That these things are kind of good. The family, their, their, their food, the, the enjoyment factor, right? That are just neutral. I would say what we need to do in these things is just move them to the side so that we don't miss the cross, right? So instead of them taking full center view, the visual is that we take that idol, whatever it is, and we move it to the side because it's blocking the way of Jesus. It still can be there, but it doesn't demand my, my focus and my attention, does that make sense? It's there, but it's not center stage. And then the last one is maybe there's some good things in our life. Our spouse, our kids, our family, those things are really good. Our job, maybe really it's something that God has put in our life. And we need to see them and we need to look through them and see the cross through the good ones. So what does that mean? That means I look at my kids and I say, God's blessed me with them. They're amazing. I love them. And I, and I could really put them as my, my all affection, and my all desires, but ultimately what I have to do is look through them to say, God has created you and wired you and made you. And every time I see you do that thing that's amazing, I look through you and see the cross of Jesus Christ working in your life. And how cool is that, babe? The, the, the cross is what I see as I look through you to the other side of what God is doing in that relationship. It could be a friendship, right? That's just so good in your life. They just build you up. They're there every step of the way. They, 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 they counsel you. They, they love you through some hard things. We have friends like that in our own life. They're just amazing friends. And instead of putting them on a pedestal of idol and worship, I look through them and say, thank you for being Jesus. And, and saying the words of Jesus to me, and I look through them to see the cross. So, so there are certain things in our life that we just need to smash and get rid of. There are things we just need to move to the side because they're in the way. And there's things we just need to look through so that we can truly see Jesus. I was talking with... Um, He's not here today, but I was talking with um, Tony uh, Cully this week, and, and I, we were talking about these idea of idols, and I said, I said, it's kind of the idea, isn't it, that, that if you ever had a toddler um, before, that they're running around crazy, and, and the house is crazy, and your tension's diverted to something else, and you're doing something that is not in, like, focused on them, and they walk up to you as a toddler, and they just grab your face and do this, and you're like, okay, cool, we're here, Right? And they won't let it go. And they're like, look at me. <laughs> I'm doing a somersault. It's awesome, right? Whatever it is, they just grab your face and they grab your attention and say, look, 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 look right here. I want you to see this. I feel like Jesus with our idols is having to often take our face and just be say, just, just look, 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 right here, right here. I want you to see me. Because I am the only one who can handle the weight of your worship. And as we do that, the things that we worship in and put our trust in become useless. They become idols because we want Christ to grab us by the face and say, just look at me and the rest will disappear. Well, he does that in Jeremiah. He does that for the people of Jeremiah. And he does that in verses 6 to 16. And we're going to end here this morning. Because what, what God does for the people of Israel is he gives them what is known in the Hebrew terms of a polemic. 
And a polemic in, is a, just a fun word to just kind of say, you know, today we studied a polemic in the book of Jeremiah. Um, but what it is, is it's a verbal rant, a strong verbal rant. Ever have one of those or ever hear one of those? Aren't those the best? Like that somebody just goes off <laughs> and you're just like, okay, they, they're really upset, right? This is God's verbal rant to Jeremiah, to the nations. So that's what you need to think of when you read this scripture. I think so often we can read scripture, we're just kind of like, oh, it's just verses. But unless you know that, man, then it adds some weight to it because God's going off and he's using Jeremiah to go off on his people. And he begins like this in verse six. And I'm just gonna read through it as I hope maybe God would want it to be read. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. He's saying, and none in Assyria, and none in Egypt, and none in Babylon. Is there any like you, O God? They are, this is awesome, they are stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Whoa, that's strong words. And it's even stronger in the Hebrew. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Upaz, and they are the work of the craftsmen's and the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple, and they are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, an everlasting king. And his wrath, at his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) You want to serve them? Cool. They're going to perish. Just as they didn't create anything, they're not going to take anything with them. And the same is true in your relationships. You ever heard that phrase as a a kid? I I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. That's what God's going into here, right? I brought these things in, I'll be the one to take you out of here. So please hold on, it gets better. It is he, God, who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom. And by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. You ever been around a large waterfall before and the thing just is so loud you can't hear anything. He says, the Lord's voice is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the earth, the ends, ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. What? Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless. They are a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. I need this in my life so often. Joel, those things you put your weight into, man, They're stupid. They're foolish. They're not me. They weren't meant to carry it. So why do you keep going back to the well that's just broken and dry? Why do you create in these other worlds of of broken cisterns? Why do you keep going back to them? And I have to keep saying, I don't know, but I want to not go back to them. I want my affection to go to you. God is pleading with Israel. Jesus is pleading with me. Jesus is pleading with you to smash the sinful idols, move the neutrals to the side, and look through good things to worship the true God. Because the fear is, as we said earlier, if we don't, we may become like them. 
mute, dumb, deaf, paralyzed, and empty. And I don't want that for our church. If God is going to spark revival here, we must start to identify our idols and place them before God himself. So, here's what we're going to do to close. I want to ask one big question. We're going to have some time for reflection for God to start identifying those. And then next week, we're going to talk more about how we actually start to break free from them. Big question this morning is this. What are your idols and what do you need to do about them? It doesn't get much simpler, right? What are your idols? What do you need to do? We all have them. I have them. They've been in my life this week. These things that I keep running to for some kind of validation. You see, when I go back to those four, um, those four quadrants, I probably focus a little bit more heavily on approval and security. Those, those are probably my two run-tos. Relationships, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm doing the right thing. Security, as long as I'm playing it safe. And there's probably even a good percentage of me that likes to play in the comfort thing too. I don't want to deal with it because it's hard. The question is, what are your idols? Which ones do you run to on a daily basis and what do you want to do about it? I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to, we're going to um, give you some time to reflect before they um, enter into the, the last song. But, but I want us to um, have some time to identify these. Because Jesus, on a hillside in Galilee, at 30 years old, started addressing hundreds of Jewish people who came to hear what he said. And part of that Sermon on the Mount theme was to start breaking all the idols. He says, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And I want to start thinking through those. What are our idols we're holding on to? We're not allowing God to work on our life because they've become so influential. I want to pray for you, give you time to think through that. So we can do that. God, we, we realize that we are um, we're easily pleased. We run to things that are made even by our own hands. We run to things that are not you. I run to things that are not you. And I need your forgiveness for that. God, would you this morning, as we have time right here in this space, would you be good enough to reveal what those are? If you would just take a minute with him, God, what are my idols? What am I placing my affections on that they are drawing my attention, stealing my face and pushing it towards you, towards it? Father, would this be the time that you finally break the ones that are holding many of us back for so long? As we as a church are praying through these 21 days, would this be the time you break 
those idols of addictions in us? Would this be the time that you break the approval monster in many of us from our kids, our spouse? Expose them for what they are. It's only you. Take our faces and just draw us to you. May we look clearly at you this morning. God, as you help us to identify them this week, I pray that we would make a list, we'd write those down so that next week we learn more how do we actually break free of them. Take this last couple minutes as we sing this song together to um, draw your attention and affection back to Jesus, his words. We're going to give you this time as we close out. Sing this song together. We just learned a little earlier um, as we desire to meet with him. My hope is this week as we come back into community groups and um, have time to process and think that God would continue to expose those things because as he does, we will see him work. That's what I want for this church is that we identify him, we take him to the cross, and we leave him there. And next week, as we talk about mercy, as we talk about compassion and what God offers in replace of the idols, I hope it becomes clear the desperate, desperate attempt that he's making to reach us. And um, I am so thankful for the, um, the prayers that have been going up this week. I know we're going a little long here, but I'm so thankful for the prayers that have been going up this week. If you look on the Echo app, you can actually see how many times things have been prayed for and how often people are praying. I think we're somewhere over 200 prayers have been prayed this week by you guys alone. And as we seek Him, He will work. And that's what we want. So, praying for that. Continue to pray for that. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Thanks for joining us online. We will, Lord willing, see you next week.